The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed in the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. All financial advice provided on this show is for entertainment and educational purposes only. The financial ideas and strategies discussed are only provided as a starting point for a conversation about money matters. With regard to your particular investments and financial strategies, consult your financial planner, CPA, or investment professional. All your financial decisions are yours and yours alone to make and subsequently are solely your responsibility. The information that is supplied through the context of the radio program and any repurposing of its content by the host or network is a combination and collection of solid financial investment understanding, opinion, and comments. This network, show, and its hosts are not liable for financial strategies, outcomes that you employ in any manner that result in any kind of loss. Shares of corporate sponsors may be the subject of buy or sell recommendations in Jay Taylor's newsletter in accordance with Jay's objective opinion. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. This hour will help investors fix issues and achieve personal gain. Now, here's your host, Jay Taylor. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor. And as I like to remind you each week, I'm also the author of a newsletter, Jay Taylor's Gold Energy and Tech Stocks. And my partner, uh, Chen Lin, uh, is the editor of What is Chen Buying? What is Chen Selling? And uh, to subscribe to either of those newsletters, go to miningstocks.com miningstocks.com. Chen has really picked up some very exciting companies, a couple of which I am following in my own newsletter, two in particular, Sarepta Therapeutics and Sorrento Therapeutics. Uh, Very exciting stories, and uh, I'm having uh, very high hopes for both of those stocks. I have upped my own position in both of them recently, and I've been talking to Chen on a regular basis, keeping up with with him and his his hard-won Research. He he really does stay on top of these things uh, as as well as anybody from a fundamental point of view. I do want to thank each of you for listening to this show and uh, making it one of the more popular shows in the Voice America Business Channel. I want to also uh, suggest that you continue to um, send your uh, complaints, your comments, whatever, along to questions for Taylor at gmail dot com. Questions the number four uh, Taylor at gmail dot com. Also, I'd like to. Um, I would like to suggest that you uh, that you take advantage of a lot of material that's at my website, jtaylormedia.com, there as well. Um, lots of great articles there, articles like uh, one in particular, Given Hubris, Policymakers in America Have No Answers. Another article, Negative Interest Rates in a Cashless Society, Dictatorship Has Arrived. Uh, the G20's Big Fat Zero. Now comes the bubble demise. That was David Stockman's article. And he had another very interesting commentary on Donald Trump. Um, he says, the Donald, the good and bad of it, David Stockman. And then there's one also, the Golden Cross uh, for Gold uh, by Frank Holmes. So those are just uh, a few of the articles that you can find at jtaylormedia.com. I'd also like to tell you that I am going to be speaking in Toronto on Sunday afternoon at 1.15. Uh, that is at the... Uh, PDAC, or the Prospectors and Developers uh, Conference, 
And uh, at 1.15, I'll be talking there. The title of my talk is The Greatest Gold Deposit for the Greatest Gold Bull Market in History? Question mark. And uh, I will have uh, Quentin Henning will be with me. In fact, he'll be sharing the stage with me for part of the 24 minutes that I have uh, to talk about, uh, about uh, well, we're going to talk a lot about Novo Resources because that uh, Novo and Dr. Quentin Henning has been on this show. Uh, they have been a sponsor of this show and he's been on this show in the past. But it is my number one holding is Novo Resources and uh, I, it's a very exciting story. Um, it is a Whitwaters ran like deposit and for those of you who know anything about the history of gold mining and where most of the gold has come from, well there's no place on earth that compares with the Whitwaters Rand of South Africa. And uh, Quentin Henning, uh, at least from a geological perspective, has found another one. The question, of course, is how much gold is there? And we won't know for years and years probably. But he's going to be entering production probably before the end of this year on a small scale or trial basis to start with. But a very exciting story. And uh, so I hope that those of you who are at the PDAC this uh, coming Sunday will stop by in room 800 801 actually at level 800 uh, at the uh, Metropolitan or at the Metro Toronto Convention Center. Look forward to seeing you there. Do want to thank our sponsors for making this show economically viable. Our sponsors for uh, today's show are Dynasert and Metanor Resources. Um, also, uh, getting back to J. Taylor Media, those uh, those articles that you can read there. Also, you can listen, of course, to segments of this show there, and also. Uh, my friend Al Corlins, uh, we have segments from his show too, the KE Report. Just click on the KE tab at my at J. Taylor Media. And uh, Dr. Postma in particular, his technical analysis I, I find very useful, very helpful, uh, very short-term orientated, uh, but I find very helpful as well. Well, let's turn now to today's show. I've titled it Negative Interest Rates in a Cashless Economy, Dictatorship Arise. Well, uh, one of Wall Street's top mining analysts, John Tomazos, will visit us for the first time today uh, to give us his take on the prospects for gold mining. And John Williams will be with us uh, also at about a half past the hour, at a quarter past the hour. John Williams will join us. Uh, he is the economist who sees uh, and provides economic statistics that are quite different from those that you get from the government. And uh, Michael Oliver is with me and will be commenting on a current um, prospects in the uh, various markets uh, as well. Um, as central bankers run out of answers and um, panic with helicopter money, which is really what they're talking about these days, and that is bound eventually, you would think, to lead to the destruction and eventually to hyperinflation. What will that mean for gold and gold mining companies? We want to talk to John Tomazos about that. But how will gold mining shares do in this transition period from what we see now with the asset deflation? Uh, certainly not in the stock market today, but in general we have seen, of course, in the commodity sector, massive amounts of debt deflation that is really driving prices lower. Well, uh, central banks are trying, as, as crazy as it seems, trying to create more inflation. And so the notion that there would be any kind of a hyperinflation uh, when central bankers are fighting like heck to try to, to generate more of it uh, seems preposterous to most people. But as Ron Paul once remarked on this show, uh, hyperinflation and a deflationary uh, scenario are really two sides of the same coin. They are symptoms of a sickness of a monetary sickness, and that's what we have. Well, John Williams has over the past years been a voice crying in the wilderness when it comes to uh, forecasting hyperinflation. Uh, he still does, and we're going to hear what he has to say and, and how he's making the case for it. And really, 
his case for hyperinflation has always boiled down to a dollar uh, demise, and his his view is that the dollar ultimately will uh, will crash, uh, will decline to its intrinsic value, which of course is zero, and when that happens, then uh, gold and other asset prices of tangibles will rise very dramatically. So we're going to be uh, see what John has to say, and he'll be with us in just a few in a few minutes. So I do find it very interesting uh, the likes of Treasury Secretary Jack Lew uh, suggesting that we need to generate more. Uh, demand in the economy. How do you do that? Well, you just print more money and create more debt. Uh, and clearly, that's what we've been doing, but it isn't working. So, uh, you know, he doesn't want countries to uh, to debase their currencies. He doesn't want them to, to stimulate, to generate, to deficit spend, uh, or he doesn't want them to trash their currencies within a beggar thy neighbor sort of situation. But yet, what else are they to do? Because the only solution any of these guys have is more Keynesian economics, deficit spending, money printing to to finance it. Uh, and so essentially, I think uh, Jack Lew is saying, I don't have any answer. And that certainly is what BlackRock's Peter Fisher had to say uh, recently on, on Bloomberg television. Uh, he said, and I quote, he said, they, the central bankers, don't want to admit they're running out of ammunition. It's become an article of faith that in order to have credibility, they have got to say things that don't have credibility. I think they've already lost their heads here. They really want to present the face that they are still in charge, end of quote. Well, that comes from Peter Fisher of BlackRock, and I don't think you find anybody more mainstream than that, essentially saying uh, that the policymakers don't have any answers. Uh, so there you have it. So we're going to be talking to uh, to, the, to our various guests today, and uh, before we go any further, uh, let me welcome Michael Oliver. Thank you for joining me again, Michael. Hello, Jake. Good day. Really good to have you here. Now, uh, you've been uh, pretty constructive on gold. You've uh, had the feelings, uh, not the feelings, because you don't operate on feelings. You operate on your momentum and structural analysis, uh, which is devoid of feelings. But you have a friend of mine thinks that gold, buying gold at this level is very dangerous. He, he's looking at sentiment, and he says all these sentiment readings are showing people have suddenly become extremely bullish on gold. Uh, and he notes also that the commercial shorts... Um, you know the commercials are have huge short positions now, and and more often than not, what J.P. Morgan wants, J.P. Morgan gets. And so, you know, some of these same people are still insisting on a thousand dollar gold, but I don't think you're buying that, are you? No, no, I'm not buying it. Uh, I I don't usually pay much attention to other methodologies. I've you know I've, over the years I've developed the MSA methodology, momentum structural analysis, and, and I try to blank out contrary opinion type things, cons- you know, the consensus reports that you hear about bullish bears, consensus, and so forth. Um, and I, I find it uh, uh, almost laughable that early in a bull market, and I think we entered a bull market in gold, when we came through 1142 through 1169 price three, four weeks ago, that was my bull signal. It broke out annual momentum and quarterly. It said, lights are green, that's the bottom. Okay. Now, then suddenly, a few weeks later, all of a sudden I'm hearing the type of sentiment that you hear around tops, I dismiss it. I think it's way premature to be looking at sentiment. Uh, short term, yes, it, it's built up some bullish consensus, but I think that more likely what's going to happen to gold, and I said in the weekend report as well, you're going to get a congestive phase, and instead of a, a retracement phase, you'll get a congestive phase. And that's exactly what we've had for the last three, now four weeks, where we're oscillating in a $30, $40 range, but uh, never going too far from the high that we reached at 1260. We did have one quick pullback right after we made that high that got back into the 1190s, but that lasted 
all of several hours, and then they immediately gobbled it back up, and gold is now nestled into the you know twelve twenty to twelve fifty zone. So I I I don't buy into that. I'm not I'm not concerned about that issue of contrary opinion. Whatsoever. All right then. Then eventually, uh, I guess the those that are betting on a thousand or below a thousand are going to give up and uh, probably I turn around and go in the other direction. <laughs> report yeah. after report for the last few years have been betting against the thousand dollar crowd. Yeah, I know you have, get it. and I, and I don't think they've got it, and I don't think they're going to get it. I think they've missed their chance, and they're and if they don't watch out, they'll miss the move. Um, okay, well, um, let me just ask you about the equity markets then, where uh, my friend also thinks that people are too bearish on the equity markets and looking at sentiment uh, for, for, uh, for, for the equity markets. What's your take there? Uh, my take is that uh, as of February 12th, it's uh, Friday several weeks ago, S&P had closed that week at 1860 area. I put out a report that was entitled with bold print, Beware. Uh, and the intent of the report was to, to, to explain to shorts that you, you're subject to having some of your profits taken away. Uh, we recommended shorting at 2043 price and 1952 price, two different levels in the S&P. Uh, and they've defended the market in the low 1800s a couple times now, low 1820, 1810 zone. It's a flat floor there on a the price chart. This rally, I think, will run out of steam shortly, time-wise. Uh, it might extend on up to 2000 or 1980, something of that sort. I think we've been in 1970s today. I'm monitoring very short-term momentum technicals now for the sign of a downturn, and I don't have it yet. Mm-hmm. So as far as I'm concerned, that the, the green light that flashed in mid-February that said you're going to have a bear market rally, which is what I think this is, it's still green. But it's getting old, and I'm, I'm seeing signs at the margins that it doesn't have much more time left to it. Mm-hmm. All right, good. Well, you had, before we went on, Mike, uh, here you, uh, you you said you had some comments on the Canadian dollar. You Just share those with us in the last minute and a half we have to. That's an important thing because it's tangential, just like the yen was. I got bullish on the yen last year, and it's had quite a big move. The euro has been dead still, so there's nothing going on there, and therefore the dollar index is dead still. But the Canadian dollar topped with commodities back in 2011 and dropped hard with commodities. And that makes sense, you know, Canada being a commodity country. Uh, the Canadian dollar is turning. Uh, it's at seven, I use futures, but they reflect cash. Seventy-four and a half cents area right now. Uh, I've already broken out enough on some quarterly momentum and annual momentum to think that we've probably got the turn underway, but I'll be fully convinced of a bottom and an upturn in place if in any month during the next quarter, which is, you know, April onward, you, you close out a month where you are right now at 74 and a half, and this beast is gone. It's going up. And now, oh. so what? We need to be long the Canadian or take that information and apply it broadly. And I think what it says is, that's further evidence of a commodity bottom and a commodity upturn. All right. Well, that's a good place perhaps to leave it, uh, Michael, because it might segue us very well into our next guest, John Williams, uh, who is uh, on the inflation side of the argument, has been continuously. Uh, but we'll see. I mean, there's uh, asset prices. You're, you're, you're uh, looking at a downside big time, I think, still for a lot of the financial assets, but perhaps a turnaround in the commodities, right? Correct. I think everything is juxtaposed. Everything is upside down now. <laughs> All right. Very good. Well, always interesting to talk to you. We, uh, I, I just uh, can't wait to get your missives as they come in the, uh, in the email. And, uh, folks, I didn't tell you, but, again, it's MSA. Uh, it's Oliver MSA 
oliveramsa.com, oliveramsa.com to learn more about Michael's work and uh, hopefully take out a subscription to his excellent service. Thank you very much, Michael, for being with us, and we'll look to do it again in the near future. Thanks so much. Well, folks, don't go away. I'm going to be back with John Williams, and uh, we'll hear what his uh, latest take is on the state of our economy and prospects uh, for something none of us should ever want to see, and that is hyperinflation. We pray to God that never happens, but we're going to hear what John Williams has to say, so don't go away. We'll be right back. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Dinosaur is a global leader in carbon emission reduction technologies. Created for use in diesel engines, the hydrogen unit has been proven to reduce carbon emissions by 30 to 40 percent, increase torque, and provide up to 15 percent in fuel savings. Our leading edge technology is designed for tractor trailers, rail, marine, and newly developed for diesel engine cars. Dinosaur's ability to reduce greenhouse gases provides long-term benefits to the environment. Dinosaur trades on the TSX Venture, symbol DYA, and the OTCBB symbol DYFSF. The website is dinosaur.com. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I am your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm really glad to have with me once again John Walter Williams, economist John Walter Williams, uh, lives out and around San Francisco, and I just think he's the luckiest man uh, in the world for that, uh, an area of city that I love so much, uh, and uh, we have a son that's out there, so uh, we got to get out there. But in any event, uh, I want to tell all of you to go to shadowstats.com, shadowstats.com, uh, for John's work. There's a lot of very... Uh, a very important stuff there. A lot of great charts and a lot of great information. Most importantly, uh, John provides a way of looking at economic statistics that are, I think, based more on reality than what you're getting from the government all the time. Uh, and so, welcome, John. Thanks for joining me again. Uh, thanks for having me, Jay. Always good to talk to you. Uh, first of all, just for those that may not be familiar with you, I think most of our listeners are, but but some probably are not. Uh, you see the unemployment numbers as being quite a bit higher uh, than than what our government's numbers are. What are your latest uh, alternative unemployment number numbers look like, and how do they contrast with the government's? Just tell us that, and then I want to tell people to go to Shadow Stats to understand more thoroughly the methodology of John's work. But go ahead, John. How, what, are, what are you seeing in unemployment now? Right what are, now, what are the numbers? Uh, our number's at uh, 22.9%. That's against the official headline of uh, 4.9%. The uh, difference simply is that uh, uh, we, we count everyone who, uh, let me put it this way, if you want to ask everyone if he or she were unemployed, 
um, you'd get a number a lot closer to ours. The government does not count people uh, who uh, haven't been looking for work recently, even though uh, they consider themselves unemployed. Mm-hmm. So it's a, we're, uh, we're way out of, uh, much, much higher than the government says. Okay, 22.9 to 4.9, quite a, quite a difference. And then on the inflation? The government has an alternate rate of 9.9, which is their, their broadest measure. So yes. they, they know that there's uh, more out there than, uh, than the headline number. Right. But I think that goes out to those that stop looking after six months, is it? After six months, uh, if they've given up looking for, you know, they have to have looked for work in the last six months. I see. To, to and be then counted, they... um, excuse me, in the last uh, four weeks, if to be counted in the uh, U3. Oh, okay. Uh, the, the, the headline number. Uh, if, um, if they give up looking for work, um, they're counted so long as they have looked for work in the last year. They, then they're put into a short-term discouraged worker category. After a year, they just drop out of the uh, out of the numbers. Okay, all right. And and John, uh, your methodology, your alternative methodology, is explained at Shadow Stats for non-subscribers, right? Right. Okay. Uh, let's go to the inflation numbers. Your inflation numbers are substantially higher than what the government says, and that is very important because if inflation is much higher than the government's, then the real uh, the real, uh, let's say, the the lifestyles of people are suffering very dramatically, and I think that is probably being borne out, perhaps, in the political season here with with Donald Trump and and Bernie Sanders gaining so much uh, so so much um, foot of a foothold. So, what is your inflation numbers telling us now, and how does that contrast with the government's numbers? Well, generally, uh, we're we're looking at something that's uh, uh, three and three and a half to. Uh, Seven percent higher than the government's official rate, um, and that's um, that's only because of the changes that they've made in the methodologies over time. They used to count uh, the uh, inflation from the standpoint of uh, measuring a constant standard of living and also measuring what you spend um, out of pocket. You don't get that anymore with the headline numbers. The headline numbers are designed by the government to minimize their budget expenditures, such as cutting cost of living expenses for people on Social Security. All right. So now, what would we be looking at GDP if we took your numbers? We, 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 I think the last I looked at one of your charts, it shows that we've never really come out of the recession following the financial crisis. Is that right? No, we, we, we haven't. If you look at, uh, if you look at the uh, headline GDP, it is adjusted for inflation, but they underestimate the inflation that the GDP is being corrected for. Um, if you understate inflation in those calculations, you're overstating the growth. I figure the GDP's understated, uh, the inflation there's, uh, excuse me, um, uh, understated by 2%, which basically uh, has had, shows a pattern of economic collapse into 2009 and then a low level of stagnation ever since. Same thing you see with the housing numbers. And um, I'll, I'll contend the economy's never recovered. Um, there maybe is a little uptrend in the stagnation, but now we're turning uh, down again, and uh, that's got all sorts of uh, negative implications for the system. Well, I noticed that geo uh, around the world. In fact, I think they said I saw last week the first time. Uh, I guess it was during the f- maybe it was during the month of January. The first time we've seen global trade contract since 2008 or 2009, something like that. So it's not just an American phenomenon, it's a global phenomenon, right? Uh, It is, but the uh, big problems in the United States, because uh, our circumstances have been overstated on the the positive side, 
Uh-huh. And we're effectively bankrupt with, uh, if you, if you, one other number to look at there is the, uh, uh, the, the uh, federal deficit. But if you look at it in terms of uh, including in that, um, on a generally accepted accounting principal basis, the unfunded liabilities for Social Security and Medicare, you see total net federal obligations in excess of $100 hundred trillion, and there's just no way that can possibly be handled in the normal course of business for the United States. So ultimately, it means a very high inflation to liquidate that if the government can't bring it in into a proper fiscal balance. And nobody's... Well, we'll see what happens with the current uh, electoral process, but certainly no one in the existing system has made made any serious effort there. Yeah, well, it, it certainly it certainly seems the case. Now, the the idea what you're talking about, uh, John, is hyperinflation, and all that we're seeing is the central banks, the central bankers, trying to increase inflation because they say, "Oh my goodness, we have this horrible deflationary problem." Of course, if they were looking at your inflation rates, they couldn't make that case at all. But they're tra- you know they try to get a two percent inflation rate, and they're they're grunting and groaning and trying to push money into the system and cannot get it. Your case for inflation for hyperinflation has always been based on the premise that ultimately the confidence in the dollar would collapse because right. after all there's nothing behind the dollar there's no gold there's nothing of substance behind it it's just a con game it's the notion that you can convince people that the dollar is worth something, right? Well, what will turn that around? What will make the dollar collapse? And therefore, in terms of our currency, our dollar, the price of everything go up. Well, you have to keep in mind that in the last, um, oh, almost, you know, it's almost two years now that the dollar has been rallying generally very sharply. Mm-hmm. Uh, that That has been artificial, and with the, dollars rally, uh, you've also had a collapse in oil prices. The two are closely tied to each other. And the collapse in oil prices has kept the headline inflation down, at least in dollar terms. It would be much higher without that. If you see a, if you see a collapse in the dollar, oil prices are going to spike, and you'll start to see a spike in commodity prices um, as, as well. The problem for the dollar is that uh, in terms of our fiscal circumstances, uh, relative to the rest of the world, we're we're we're, we're the uh, worst around, and we're also the largest around. Um, you look at our economy; our economy is uh, weak and faltering. Uh, our interest rates are going to go; uh, uh, they're not going to go any higher for a while. And you're going to see the Fed uh, uh, moving most likely back to some form of a, of a quantitative easing to, to base the dollar to try and keep the banking system afloat and to. Um, and, and to fund the Treasury. Now, the, the reason you've seen the dollar strength, um, initially I think that was uh, there was a, a covert action there to try and punish the, the Russians for uh, their activity in uh, Ukraine. Yeah. Uh, if you look at the timing of the uh, collapse in the uh, oil prices and the big rally that took place in the dollar related to that, uh, it was within a day or two of the U.S. announcing sanctions against some of the, the, the Russian leaders. This, this has been orchestrated to a certain extent. How did the rest of the world justify supporting the dollar? Um, well, one thing, basic fundamentals, higher U.S. interest rates. All of yeah. a sudden, you start getting these rumors, oh, the, the Fed's uh, going to eliminate its quantitative easing, it's going to raise interest rates. Yeah. And we had that song in a dance for 
uh, year, year and a half, and then they finally raised interest rates. But whenever the dollar came under pressure, the oh, the Fed's going to raise interest rates. Well, they did raise interest rates now, and then they were going to continue inter- raising interest rates. But as the economy's weakened, uh, that, a lot of that talks disappeared. Um, as the crisis resurfaces from 2008, and 2008 was effectively a day of reckoning. All the excesses in the system, both domestically and globally, had come to a peak, and we were literally on the verge of collapse of the domestic banking system. At that point in time, the Fed, the Treasury, did uh, everything in their power to keep the system from collapsing. They made a decision at that point in time they would not let the system collapse. They created whatever money they had to. They bailed out whoever they had to. They guaranteed all deposits. Anything they had to do to keep the system from collapsing, they did. The only thing they didn't do was take fundamental action to um, address the issues that had led to the crisis. Right. We still have the, the fiscal imbalances. Um, we still have the economy in severe trouble. And um, the banking system is... Uh, not in really great shape, although it's in better shape than it was at the time. So as the economy weakens anew here, you're going to see intensified pressure on the banking system. You're going to see intensified pressure on the on the deficit. And um, people look at the at the uh, quantitative easing really as a bailout for the banking system. It did nothing to stimulate the economy, but it also helped the treasury uh, fund itself. Uh, in the period of time where they had the active treasury buying, uh, mm-hmm. they were uh, they they monetized seventy five percent of the the effective issuance of the uh, the, the public debt. Right. Um, they're they're going to have tre- who's going to be buying the treasuries now? Well, that's what I, I wonder. And, and to what extent? What extent, John? Do you think the pressure and the idea of raising rates might be because they know they got to get try to get somebody else to buy the to buy our debt? Is is that part of it? Do you think? Um, possibly, it's been it's been to keep the dollar strong. I think more than yeah. anything else, and right. and basically to, to return the system to normalcy. But mm-hmm. the system can't return to normalcy because it was no, the the crisis was never resolved. We're still living out the um, the uh, the collapse of two thousand eight, and right. where they made the decision not to let the let the system collapse. I mean, you have people talking about uh, a great deflation here um, with a debt collapse and such. I'm sure you're going to have all sorts of defaults. You may have uh, uh, a certain debt collapse, but you don't. That does not give you a big deflation. It hurts the banking system. Mm-hmm. What gives you a, a, a big deflation is a collapse in the banking system, mm-hmm. and and you go back to 2008. That's when the decision was made. We do whatever we have to do to save the system. Right. So you're going to see more quantitative easing. They're going to they're, they're going to be creating enough. Um, Liquidity uh, funding of the government eventually it works works out as an as a an inflationary hyperinflationary collapse as opposed to a deflationary collapse. That decision right, so, was made some time ago. So what they have to do is try to con people into believing that the dollar is worthwhile to hanging on to it as long as they can, or else uh, you know the whole the whole fiat currency, global fiat currency system collapses, I guess. But what do you make of it, John? Uh, this year, gold is showing quite a bit of strength, and it's rising relative to silver. It, it usually, from what I've seen in the past, that usually suggests that there's some stresses in the banking system. Do you think that's what's, what's have, hel- heading our way now? And at, at, at what point then, I mean, what I'm trying to get my head around is what causes the confidence game to end in the dollar? What causes people to understand what you know and I know, that the dollar is a worthless figment of our imagination? Well, the rising gold price, I, 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 um, I fully believe, is uh, 
growing recognition of uh, of the the basic uh, uh, insolvency of the system uh, and of the and of the fiat currencies. That is, um, you may have uh, ongoing interventions and in, you know, uh, from the uh, central banks trying to knock it down, but clearly the sentiment's moving in that direction, and you have you have a circumstance here. Where they, uh, what 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 kills the dollar is what's already beginning to unfold, and that is a new recession. Um, everything here has been uh, predicated on yes, the U.S. is recovering. We, yeah. we, I mean, if, you, if you believe the GDP numbers, it's ten percent above uh, where you were uh, b- before the uh, economic collapse, but you don't see that in any other series. And the housing numbers are all down thirty, forty percent from their peaks, and if you look at uh, uh, things such as industrial production, uh, manufacturing never recovered its its pre-recession high, and and, and you make a little adjustment for um, uh, underinstated inflation, you'll see that generally uh, uh, you're seeing the same patterns in the broad economic statistics as you see, let's say in the in the earnings, excuse me, the revenues of the S and P 500. Now, right. You have to keep in mind that with uh, how the corporations have responded with gimmicks as well as the government, all these buybacks yeah. reduce the number of shares. So when you look at earnings per share, revenues per share, that's all inflated because they're, the uh, denominator is much smaller. There are fewer shares. Sure. But if you look at the, uh, the aggregate uh, uh, sales of the uh, S&P 500 and adjusted for inflation, you're down, you're down year to year. You're seeing a pattern um, that shows a, a deepening uh, recession. Right. That, well, John, that, that we're going to... sure a recession. Well, John, that's we're going to have to let it go. That, that's going to that's going to kill the dollar. Well, okay, fine. That's that's a very very important, and of course, nobody knows exactly when it's going to happen. Uh, I do know one thing, though, that uh, our time is up, unfortunately. Uh, I, I might make a note that it was Martin Wolf in the Financial Times, I think, last week, who had a headline in his editorial about helicopter money not being far away. So, uh, John, I would imagine, you know, when uh, you know, at some point in time. People will realize that the emperor is wearing no clothes, and that will and it will be game over and lights out. We only hope and pray that it isn't a sudden process. But knowing how hyperinflations have happened in the past, very often they are a very sudden uh, event because all of a sudden, when confidence is lost, people get rid of their dollars and try to buy things of of, uh, of value of tangible value. So, well, anyway, John, thank you very much for being with us. We'll, we'll hope to do it again and get an update from you sometime in the near future. Thanks so much. Thank you, uh, for being with us. All right. Well, folks, don't go away. Uh, we're gonna, we have to go to a commercial break now, but John Tomazos is going to be with us, and uh, you won't want to miss what he has to say. I don't know of anybody who is better equipped to give us a, a view of how the mining companies are doing, in particular how the gold mining companies, precious metals mining companies are doing. Uh, nobody on Wall Street is better than John Tomazos. So don't go away. We'll be right back uh, with Mr. Tomazos. America Business Network, the bottom line in business. 
Dynacert is a global leader in carbon emission reduction technologies. Created for use in diesel engines, the hydrogen unit has been proven to reduce carbon emissions by 30 to 40 percent, increase torque, and provide up to 15 percent in fuel savings. Our leading edge technology is designed for tractor trailers, rail, marine, and newly developed for diesel engine cars. Dynacert's ability to reduce greenhouse gases provides long-term benefits to the environment. Dynacert trades on the TSX Venture, symbol DYA, and the OTCBB symbol DYFSF. The website is dynacert.com. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1 866 472 5790. That's 1 866 472 5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number 4, Taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. Uh, I am your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm really happy to have with me for the first time, John Tomazas. John uh, is a chartered financial analyst. Uh, he is the owner, founder, and senior analyst at John Tomazos' Very Independent Research. And uh, John lives up to his name. It is Very Independent Research, and that's what, uh, in, a, in addition to his qualifications and a longstanding and excellent reputation on Wall Street, uh, he is also a, a man of very high standards in the way he does his work and proceeds. So I've known him personally for the last number of years, and his firm does fundamental research in commodities markets, common stocks, and in metals, fertilizers, and forest products as well. Uh, so in, in his business model, uh, well, they do. They sell research and provide corporate advisory services to small emerging mining companies. Uh, and the website to go to um, if you want to learn more about John is veryindependentresearch.com, veryindependentresearch.com. Thanks for joining me today, John. It's an honor, Jay. Thank you. Really good to have you with me, and um, I, uh, I've looked forward to this for some time. Uh, I'd like to talk about the politics and economic climate and how it might be impacting uh, the mining sector right now. I, I know that you know your abilities certainly are in the area of understanding companies and the economics of and the and the technical aspects of mining the science behind it and all of that it's a very complicated business it's a very difficult business one of the most difficult businesses in the world i think is is mining especially in this day and age uh... when so much science and and government and politics is involved um, but let's i'd like to before we get into some of the a couple of your favorite ideas in the mining sector and why you like them and why and what your prospects are for mining i'd like to ask you do you have a sense as to whether or not a trump presidency should it occur and i know a lot of people are pulling their hair out and saying oh my god it cannot happen but let's say it does happen would it be good or bad for the mining industry in the united states well it would be spectacular and I think that uh, it's good if you get uh, channel 616 on Verizon, One American News, or go on YouTube and listen to 60 to 90 minute full length Trump speeches, mm-hmm. not the sound bites that the liberal commentators want to use to nail him. Uh-huh. His first theme is that the political parties, the electoral system, the federal government are profoundly corrupt, 
and the decision-making bought and stupid. Mm-hmm. That's his number one theme. Mm-hmm. His number two theme is reshoring, creating jobs, bringing manufacturing back, make America great again. Now, bringing American manufacturers back to the 50 states is a big help to metals. Just as an example, this year the U.S. primary aluminum is going to be 530,000 tons, uh, Three smelters of Century Aluminum running half, uh, one smelter of Alcoa running half, and another one running for a few months before it shuts. The U.S. Mm-hmm. needs a million tons a month of aluminum. Hmm. So we're 4% self-sufficient. Wow, only 4%. Now, if you count scrap, we're a third self-sufficient. Mm-hmm. If you count scrap. Yeah. But even so, that means we're having to import two-thirds. And uh, the share prices of U.S. steel or A.K. steel would suggest the steel industry is an endangered species, as well as mining. So uh, I'm, I'm from Pittsburgh, Jay. My dad worked 27 years U.S. steel homestead. Mm-hmm. I feel like I'm sitting in Heinz Field waving a yellow flag, yellow towel for the AFC championship game when I hear a Trump speech for an hour. Uh-huh. <laughs> That's an expression of enthusiasm. Uh, <laughs> well, I, it, it certainly is. He certainly is a, a person coming from a different angle and certainly has, uh, doesn't have that albatross around his neck having and being owned by whoever it is that that is owning our government now and i think that's probably a lot of people are feeling that way and uh but it is it is interesting to see the establishment scramble and and try to make up stories about him and so on and so forth so uh in any event um what about the, we, we turning to the gold mining industry, the gold industry? I mean, we've seen a very strong start to 2016 in the gold sector. We saw that last year. What are your thoughts on gold? Do you think do you think this one has legs? Do you think we might be on to something more substantial than just a two or three month uh, rise here in the price of the yellow metal? Well, first, it's the best period for physical gold purchases in six years. Uh huh. Uh, the GLD, Gold Bullion ETF, has taken in 147 tons, you know, 32,151 troy ounces in a metric ton, mm-hmm. since December 17, from 630 to 677, mm-hmm. if I'm doing that right. And the average from 2004 to 2012 was 293 tons a year of ETF buying. All ETFs where GLD is only 40% of the mix now. Uh huh. So if you annualize the last two months, this is a record period, bigger than the stimulus period in 2009. Yeah. So there's a wall of gold, and uh, part of it's the Izubu Ponzi scam scandal in China, $7.6 billion. The Chinese market down 50%, negative real rates in Japan and Sweden, joining Switzerland, the EU, all these other other countries from last year. Mm -hmm. And then stock and bond markets don't look that good around the world. Mm -hmm. So right now, there is uh, investment demand for gold that's good. And Barrick has tripled off its bottom. Royal gold has doubled. Anglo gold has tripled. And uh, some of the big stocks look like they're trading at three times our net present value calculations. But there aren't enough. There's a lot of money that wants to go into gold right now. 
Well, if they're trading at three times NPV for you, then that would suggest they're not a good buy. We're recommending uh, Silver Wheaton and Osisco Gold Royalties among the conservative companies. Mm-hmm. Kirkland Lake is a primary mine. There is a basket of small stocks we're recommending. Mm-hmm. The big money managers, if they have a $10 million inflow overnight or whatever, yep. they might just buy the five most liquid names. Yes, that's right. That's right. So we're recommending a basket, and I'm going to talk slowly and mention 20 stocks. Okay. Corex Gold, Kirkland Lake, Detour Gold, Paramount Gold, Nevada, Galway Gold, Taranga Gold, Northern Dynasty, Exelon Resources, Continental Gold, Red Eagle Mines, Pershing Gold, Pure Gold, Richmond Mines, Orvana Mines, Premier Gold, West Dome, Core Mines, Platinum Metals Group, Northern Star Resources, and Pilot Gold. We've hosted every one of those companies in our conferences except Northern Star. We visited Northern Star in Perth. We have visited most of those companies' mines. But I think that the, the big money managers aren't going into the small caps because they've got to put the money to work overnight. Right. And it doesn't take a lot of money to make some of these small stocks triple. Well, that's right. And I'm wondering, John, if uh, the big names are, are overpriced, if they might not use some of that currency to go out, raise money, and go buy some of these little guys that are undervalued. Is that something you see in consolidation? Well, sometimes investors have a, a profit in a big <laughs> stock. Uh-huh. And they sell and, the big stock and buy a bunch of these little guys that might sure. be better companies as well sure. as being cheaper. Mm-hmm. Uh, the big guys are kind of sucking their thumbs. They made so many mistakes. There's $111 billion of write-offs by gold, silver, and platinum companies pre-tax since uh, 2008. So there aren't a lot of them that have guts right now. Yeah. And a lot of them have stranded projects from the last cycle that they're still trying to fix. Mm-hmm. So there might be takeovers, but I think that uh, investors are going to buy the small caps because the big caps have just run so fast. All right. Um, l- let me ask you, I know that Kirkland Lake, uh, in your at your conference last year, you were really, really... Uh, big on Kirkland Lake. You mentioned a whole bunch of names, and I want to ask you about Northern Dynasty as well. But what is it that specifically, if if you still do like Kirkland Lake as I much? I own three hundred fourteen thousand shares of Kirkland Lake. It's my uh-huh. largest gold holding and my largest personal holding at the moment. Uh-huh. Uh huh. It fell from twenty one to two U.S. Uh huh. They uh, were doubling their mine and mill. They expanded their mill to 2,200 tons a day. They had some equipment issues. Uh, They bought a a ball mill from China that was full of cracks. (laughs) Um, They expanded the mill and they expanded the shaft lifting capacity, but the underground development wasn't in in line. There were Uh bottlenecks. Yeah. So anyway, they finished that. They had a convert that people thought they couldn't pay back. Now they have the cash to pay it back. Uh-huh. And the Canadian gold price is uh, pushing 1700 Yes. Almost at a record. 
So I think it can go all the way back from 2 to 21. It's at 6 right now. Mm-hmm. And uh, I like the management. I was dear friends with the CEO that as soon as I started buying the stock, they changed them out. People got frustrated when it was 2. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I, I started buying when Brian was still CEO. But uh, George is a good guy. And uh, I'm in it for, uh, I think the price target in our reports is 13 or 14, but I think mm-hmm. you can do at least that. Uh, conservatively, I budgeted a $400 million Canadian investment for a new shaft mm-hmm. uh, in my model, uh, which is just replacement CapEx. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, that's uh, that's that's quite a good story. I, I certainly is one that I have on my list, and I like it's a to half an ounce. Great, almost. And yeah, that's, that's the great. It's amazing. Yeah. Ton. Yeah. Uh, all right. Well, well, let's get to Northern Dynasty. I mean, this is one that I think most people have given up for dead. Uh, Northern Dynasty, for political reasons, for eco- for envir- alleged environmental reasons. What's your take on that now? Because uh, it, it seems as though you know this is. You know, I mean, Ben Laden was never hated as much as Northern Dynasty. Well, I don't know. By the establishment. So, uh, I think that, uh, you know, the state of Alaska supports it. There have been ballot referendums that mention salmon fisheries, and Mm -hmm. 58% of the Alaskans still vote in favor of the mine. Mm -hmm. Or against the, the green initiatives. Mm-hmm. So this thing is loved in Alaska. And the mm-hmm. problem is the federal government and the EPA, et cetera. Now, one phrase I heard in one of Trump's full-length stump speeches is that he was talking about his Mexican wall he wants to build, that uh, yeah. the uh, Obama administration or the Bush administration said that somebody saw a snake and they didn't want to build a wall. So he sort of... <laughs> He's, he expressed a little frustration with environmental rules. Yeah. And he has another line, and I can't wait for if he debates Hillary. He says that Hillary's not going to run for president. She's going to run for her life, because if he's president, he'll prosecute her. Uh-huh. Now, maybe you know, Bill's got something going at the foundation. I don't know. Then um, Mr. Obama and Holder, the former attorney general, and uh, the lady, uh, Loretta and Lynch, the current attorney general, they bend some rules to try to make his interpretation of the Constitution fit. But the EPA is prime for prosecution for the very reasons that Northern Dynasty is suing it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Rigging the data, forbidding a private company from uh, making even an environmental application. So I, I think that uh, uh, Donald Trump would rescue those honest geologists at Hunter Dickinson Group, Ron Thiessen, Bob Dick, yep. uh, Dickinson, and the gang. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, there's only 108 million ounces of gold, 80 <laughs> billion pounds of copper, and 5.6 billion pounds of molly as of 2010 or 11 when they stopped counting. Yeah, they had their best drill holes after they stopped counting. That's incredible. How, how, how what's the uh, copper content there now? Eighty billion pounds. Eighty billion pounds and the best drill holes towards the end. And so, the best yeah, it's incredible. After well, you know, they calculated that. It's not in the database yet. It's not mm-hmm. in the reserve. 
Okay, so the resource. Oh, it's in the resource. All right. Well, so um, the point is that now uh, there's six billion in capital to build it uh-huh. at low prices of two fifty copper and ten fifty gold. They estimated a fourteen percent pre-tax return five or six years ago in their last technical study. So once uh, Donald Trump is in the White House and we're saved again, and we can make America great again, the next question is uh, just the issues of metal prices and CapEx and cost control. Mm-hmm. Now, if the ratio of gold and copper to oil is high, it's a double win. This is an open pit mine that uses diesel, but it's also up in Alaska where transportation is half of your cost in terms of supplies, not the supplies, but getting it there. Yeah. So if all these young kids believe Al Gore and Bernie Sanders and buy electric cars, yeah. like Ford and Toyota want to make, <laughs> and oil is cheap, I think there's a scenario where gold is high, copper is high, oil's cheap, for Kirkland Lake, the sea dollar's cheap. Mm-hmm. That's a good scenario for your next NPV analysis or definitive feasibility study update at Northern Dynasty. Well, that's, uh, that's about as optimistic as anything I've heard uh, in, on many fronts. But then I think that Donald Trump probably is a nationalist. And there are people that are globalists, and they don't care that much about what happens in America. Clearly, what you're talking about is one of the most remarkable... Now, undeveloped. Jay, in, in October of 1970, I was in ninth grade, and the older kids were trying to recruit me for the high school debate team. Uh huh. And the resolution was resolved that the federal government create an environmental protection agency. And one night in October, President Nixon went on TV and adopted the high school debate resolution. Uh. And he created it. So in 1970, the pendulum was strong. In American history prior to 1970, there was an environmental law. Now the pendulum is the other way, and we got the tyranny of the fruitcakes. I think it would be reasonable, now that we've protected the environment and cleaned up for half a century, to repurpose the Environmental Protection Agency, rewrite the law, and call it the Job Creation, Poverty Prevention, and Environmental Protection Agency. In other words, don't shut down every job. Protect the environment, but let people earn a living, too. Yeah. Well, it certainly needs to be a balance, and, uh, and Lord knows it's swung in the other direction. No, no question about that, John. Uh, all right. So, uh, well, so much more to talk about. There are so many companies. Uh, oh, Cisco, you say, is one of your picks uh, among the royalty companies. It's been Frank, a big you- laggard in this rally the last month or two, by the way. Right, it has. And uh, so you would pick that over a Franco Nevada, I guess, probably, at this stage? So uh, Cisco is uh, based on Canadian Malartic Mine and Eleanor, both of which appear to be uh, doing well. Yeah, they are doing well. Yeah, they are. Well, John, we're just about out of time here, so I guess uh, anything else you'd like to mention? I guess, you know, people should go to your website. Um, and if you go www.veryindependentresearch.com right. and then click on Buy Our Reports, you can buy our reports a la carte. 
If there's any trouble with the IT, just call us and email us, and we'll make it a little easier for you. Well, yeah, so I We're think all of those... We're having a conference March 31 with at least 34 companies. Go to www.veryindependentresearch.com. Just uh, click on Conferences, and you can watch our webcast live. No username, no oh. password, no charge. Oh, perfect. Well, we're out, of, John. We're out of time. We've got to go. Unfortunately, we'll look forward to talking Very to you again you. Some, sometime in the near future. Thank you so much. And and I might mention that all those names that you mentioned, uh, you follow and probably have research reports for them, right? Some of them. Not okay. Everyone. Very. Thank you. All right. All right, very good. Thanks, John. Well, okay, folks, that's it. That's all the time we have for this week. Next week, uh, Richard Mayberry will be my guest, as well as John uh, Shimpalia, who manages the Sprott Gold Miners ETFs. So uh, those two guests, and uh, we hope that you'll join us again next week. Until next week, goodbye, and God's blessings to you. Thank you again for listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor. Please join us again next Tuesday at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel.